Hey everyone, this is your host Caleb Green and you have turned right on records where we review the latest in heavy metal and rock music, singles, EPs, and albums. What's up, what's up, what's up? Today on this episode of Split Opinion, we're going to be covering Oasis and Guns N' Roses. Originally, I was going to do Guns N' Roses compared to Velvet Revolver. When I dig deeper into the history, I realized that these two bands had more in common than what I thought. So I went ahead and lumped Velvet Revolver in with the Guns N' Roses history for this episode. I hope you all enjoy. There are a lot of parallels that I found through my research, which... You know, it took about 10 hours just to kind of go through, read everything, start listening to their albums, uh, see where they both fell off, you know, this, that, and the third. But, you know, without further ado, let's get into it. Well, let's start with Guns N' Roses. Releasing Appetite for Destruction in 1987, leading off with GNR Lies, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, The Spaghetti Incident, and then about 20-year wait for Chinese democracy, but how did they get there? So originally, Guns N' Roses was formed from Hollywood Rose and L.A. Guns. It was members from both bands coming together. The name was formed from there. Axel was actually originally fired from one of the original lineups, and then they just kind of came together and came up with the name, which was really interesting. Tommy Gunn was actually in Guns N' Roses and left. That's when they picked up Slash. And the rest is history. And I mean a lot of it, because holy shit, you would not believe how much stuff happened with this band. They originally, for Appetite for Destruction, they had released some EPs beforehand with live performances. And with Appetite for Destruction, it came out, which now we know how big of a hit that album actually is. But when it first released, it wasn't. It was just a moderate, very small success and Geffen almost dropped the band from their record label. Guns N' Roses started ending up in like movies, uh, advertisements, or music was, and it started to really catch on. Later, they released GNR Lies, which wasn't as big as Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, it, it was a good follow-up. You know, they had covers on it. They had a, <clears throat> a couple of original songs. Nothing, nothing too special about it, but it still was a follow-up to Appetite. For destruction. Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 is really when the band started to shine. They sold almost 1 million records combined on day 1 in 1991. It was ridiculous. Use Your Illusion 2 actually sold more than Use Your Illusion 1 within the first week. I'm assuming that majority of people who picked up Use Your Illusion 1 later went and picked up Use Your Illusion 2 after listening to it, which I gotta say... Those are great albums. And around this time is when the band started having major issues. Their original drummer, Adler, had left. They had picked up a couple of new members. Their current keyboardist, Dizzy, was picked up around the same time. This is the peak of their success. I mean, they were doing concerts where riots would break out. Maybe once or twice it happened, but it was a world tour. Matter of fact, one of the incidents was someone was filming Guns N' Roses and Axl Rose came off stage and beat the shit out of the guy, and then a riot ensued. He actually got sued for that and had to do probation, but that's when rock stars were able to be rock stars. However, 
that Rockstar Life really caught up with the rest of the group because while Axel was sober, the rest of the band were on drugs and eventually contracts were coming out throughout the band that they weren't going to do drugs during a certain period of time. Members had to get fired. Uh, They left. One story, which was pretty crazy when I read it, uh, something about they offered him $2,000 and took all the writing credits for all the songs that he wrote and removed his name from the band and you know there's other versions of that story too really when the band started to fall apart 1993 with the release of the spaghetti incident which was just a covers album geffen would then go on to release use your illusion one and two because the band was not producing any music at the time except for a cover for symphony of the devil which did not release until their greatest hits came out years later which the band would dispute during this time pretty much every member of the band had a solo career or a separate band, which Slash's Snake Pit was apparently, all the songs he wrote, he wanted that to be a new Guns N' Roses album. Axel said no, he wanted it to be new. He wanted it to be different, which the older I get, the more I agree with Axel on a lot of the things that, you know, his his decision making with the band, I, I agree with it more than what the other band members wanted to do considering the fact that the only band member that's actually had like a super great career outside of Guns N' Roses is Slash. And that's mainly because of his imagery, which that's a thing I'm going to get to towards the end, like usual. Yeah, he had Slash's Snake Pit. The other ones, I I don't even fucking... Honestly, I don't know, besides that, you know, they all had their own solo careers. Uh, I didn't really pay attention to them. They weren't really any good. I know Adler especially had some super shitty songs. With that being said, Velvet Revolver, the initial discussion I wanted to have, they did interest me and they interested a lot of the public because they got pretty big with singer Scott Whelan of Stone Temple Pilot fame. It was very, very cool. It was almost like David Bowie. David Bowie with Freddie Mercury's you know, dancing and stuff on stage, like the showmanship. That guy was just amazing, and he did really great work in Stone Temple Pilots. Check them out. But right now we're talking about Velvet Revolver, you know? So they released Contraband and Libertad, and at the time, Guns N' Roses had been completely broken up, pretty much, except for Axl Rose, who had sole, sole priority of it. Like, he took it, and it was his. He was the complete owner. He wasn't going to tour with Slash or any of them anymore. Uh, not even Duff or Izzy. And I agree with them, considering the fact that the music that they were bringing to the forefront, and I've heard a lot of it, is just, like, it, it was it was bad then, and it was bad now. Again, except for Slash's stuff, which, obviously. In 2008, the band would finally release Chinese Democracy to some mixed reviews from fans. I've seen some positive reviews. I've gone back and listened to it. It's okay. It's not really the point. The point is, the band broke up, and it was pretty much just an Axl Rose solo thing by that point, but a couple years pass with Velvet Revolver, Scott Whelan's out of the band, and dies of a drug overdose. And Slash and some of the remaining, the original members of Guns N' Roses join the band again, which that's where we're at today. They've done reunion tours. Slash has come out and said that they are still recording music and even reworking songs from Chinese democracy. So it's a good ending. It's sad that it had to get to that point that it took that long for them, everybody to get back together and try to work their differences out, especially after the passing of Scott Whelan. That's the legacy they left. And I mean, use your illusion one and two. 
sold about 13 million, I believe, not including lifetime sales of the rest of their albums. So another thing of success that I said before was they, these guys were rock stars. They were doing stuff that was offensive and in your face. You know, a lot of people would say, oh, well, that was just punk. It's like, no, like that's how a rock star was, you know, a rock star was very much out in the open doing whatever the fuck he wanted to. And yeah, it kind of reminds me, well, really, Ronnie Radke reminds me a lot of Axl Rose and how Kurt Cobain was back in the day where if something came up and they didn't like it, they would just be like, yeah, fuck you, fuck this, I don't fucking like that. Yeah, I, I think the imagery, especially Slash's hat, that's all imagery. That is all an iconic thing. No band's done it better. I know a lot of people might say Motley Crue, but I definitely think they really own that style and they own the hard rock and the experimental stuff they've done is amazing. Uh, you know, Chinese democracy is okay, but yeah. Yeah. So that's the first half of this. Let's get into Oasis. So Oasis starting in 1991 by Liam and Noel Gallagher. I am not going to go through every member of this band just you know, same thing with Guns N' Roses. I'm not going through everything every other member have done. These two are the main bandmates that a lot of people remember. They're the brothers. They've always had issues throughout their whole career. But starting out, the band actually did the same exact thing as Guns N' Roses and started passing around demos and got picked up or pretty much just as fast as Guns N' Roses did about 10 years prior, which that's what I thought was interesting about this. I never realized how much of a comparison they actually had except for Oasis was very much more public about their drama than Guns N' Roses was. Eventually, the band would release definitely maybe on Creation Records. It's a very good album, and it was a high, a very high mark for the band. People were comparing them to the Beatles, just like people were comparing Guns N' Roses to the Rolling Stones. That's how big of a deal this was, especially back in the 90s. They followed that up with What's the Story Mooring? Glory, which a lot of people consider to be even better. And then they released Be Here Now, which at the time, again, people said was their best album. A lot of people look back at it now and say, no, it's not. And one of the brothers actually stated that they were all on coke during the time of recording that record. Sound a little familiar? <laughs> a lot of contracts started getting thrown around between the band members. A lot of people left after... After Be Here Now, the two brothers stayed, and they continued to release music with a lot of indoor drama between the two. And, I, I mean, it was all over the place. These guys, one of them would sit at the balcony, throw shit at each other. I mean, just like brothers, you know? Like, it, it really is... It was, it was crazy. And I still, like, watch some of the MTV performances and stuff. It's just fucking wild. I remember one of them saying some shit like... Oh, you know, this, this fucking sucks to be here in America, you know, playing to his crowd. Yeah, they, they have a very similar career, except for they stayed together. They didn't break up like Guns N' Roses did. How Guns N' Roses became just Axl Rose's band. Oasis was Noel and Liam Gallagher, and they continued to make music throughout the 2000s. But when they broke up was around the time... Guns N' Roses had released Chinese Democracy. During this time period, there were rumors going around that Guns N' Roses was going to get back together. Axl Rose was saying there's no way in hell that would happen. 
And when Oasis broke up, both of the brothers were saying that it would never happen. So, with Guns N' Roses getting back together recently, I thought it was very interesting that Oasis hasn't. You know, it's it's odd. I understand that, you know, the comments of like, oh, we got enough money, we don't need to do that for money. Oasis was a really good band. They hold a very big part of music history in Britain. They are huge. They are just as much of an iconic duo as Axel and Slash. And that's where I'm getting at with this, is both bands have the same issues. By themselves, they don't work well without each other. And they both have the image. You know, besides, you know, Oasis has got the British thing going on, the trench coat and all that. Like, you know, that's cool over there. You know, good on you. But these bands... These main members need to stay together because I think that's when their best music was made and the sales obviously show it. I mean, Oasis has sold, I think, around 70 million records and Guns N' Roses has sold around 84 million records. I mean, they got like 10, 10, you know, 20 years on them or whatever. But that's still impressive for both groups. That's, That's how big these guys were. Like, that's those aren't like little tiny numbers you could just push across the board, especially with just like three albums that are your highest selling. That's ridiculous. It's impressive to say the least. I thought it'd be interesting to go over the comparison between these two because their history matches up a lot more than what I thought. I know uh, I usually cover bands within the same genre, but a little bit of closing remarks. You know, if there's any two groups that you see that are similar within the rock and heavy metal hemisphere, I mean, let me know. Like, that would be a good thing. I would love to delve deep into some weird parallel histories that really match up with each other in a a very strange way. Because, I mean, obviously there's been plenty of bands that have almost this story, but not to this success. I found these two, and it is just crazy how similar their stories are and how they actually acted around each other and stuff. So, yeah. Anyways. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We have a Facebook page and a Twitter that we post on pretty regularly. So, we'll see you there if you want to discuss anything or if there's any music coming up that you want us to listen to and check out, please let us know. We're all ears. Anyways, this is your host, Caleb Green, and I will see you right on records.